0: Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tiger podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I'm here with Tiger's beat writer, very tired young man, Evan Petzold. We had a full, full day yesterday of Detroit Tigers baseball, and then we had a full night of Detroit Tigers future baseball as they... Had the Major League Draft last night. We're going to talk about all those things. How are you feeling today, Ev?
1: Yeah, long day yesterday. Thankful to my bosses for not having me cover the game um, during the day, which was obviously a, a dagger to the Tigers. And, and we got to talk about that, which is the way that it blew up right in their face. And they had a chance to you know, win a game and, and win a series against the Toronto Blue Jays and weren't able to get it done. But that didn't mean that I wasn't working yesterday, because as we all know, the draft was yesterday and... Um, yeah, it was a a big day for the tigers. There was a lot going on and they had three picks and I was up until about 3am until I got a chance to finally finish my writing because it's not only is it, you know, you got to write about each pick, but then it's like at the end of the night, like I really wanted to recap something that jumped out to me about Max Clark, who was selected number three overall. So it was, you know, go through all those picks, talk to Max Clark. We got a chance to talk to President of Baseball Operations Scott Harris, Assistant General Manager Rob Metzler, and Scouting Director Mark Connor. That was the first time that we've talked to Metzler and Connor, so that was really interesting and, and fascinating to get their perspectives on these players. I'm looking forward to doing the same Monday and Tuesday as the draft wraps up. But yeah, let's just start with with the game because I think that's where we need to we need to go, just because of the fact that um, it was the last game of the season. Then you know, dive immediately into draft stuff. But Tigers had a three and four week they won two of three against Oakland. They won two of three against the blue Jays and they also had um, that win against Colorado there on, on Sunday. So it was, yeah, I mean, it it wasn't great. I was kind of disappointed with the fact that, you know, they lost back-to-back games against Oakland and then they were only able to win, you know, one of those games against the blue Jays, I guess it's probably more fair to call it a, you know, two and four week for them just because, I don't think we count that game against Colorado, considering the fact that you know, we record on Sundays normally. So, yeah, it was a dagger for the Tigers. They were up, they had a chance to, to to win, and they blew it in the bottom of the ninth inning or top of the ninth inning, excuse me, with one out left, and Danny Jansen hits a home run. It's a two run shot. Game's tied. Hits it off Alex Lang Goes to extra innings, and um, the Tigers weren't able to scratch anything across in the tenth inning, whereas the Blue Jays were, and. That's how the Tigers' unofficial first half of the season ends as they uh, head
0: into the All-Star break. I don't think uh, any game explains the caliber of the first half of the Detroit Tigers better than yesterday. And my buddy Kirk Crawford, sports editor of the Free Press, executive producer of Days of Roar, likes when I try to use my profanity judiciously, so I will not waste any profanity on yesterday's game. it just doesn't deserve my profanity it's getting a little worrisome that you're starting to flip coins when Alex Lang comes in the game and wouldn't shock me if A.J. Hinch starts throwing Alex Lang in the eighth in Jason Foley to close games for at least a little while because it's starting to become a problem and Alex Link's too good to be causing these types of problems. So he's gonna to need to work his business out before he costs us victories. That's all I have to say about that. It was a
1: really weird week for the Tigers though, wasn't it, Mark? Just the way that, you know, they they couldn't hit the ball in their first game against Oakland. They got smoked in the second game against Oakland. And they then they come out and they they win nine-nothing in Thursday's game. And that was, you know, it was like, okay, where's that been for you know, the last two games. And, and then you go to the to, to Toronto series, Toronto comes to town and it's a 12 to two loss in the first game. And then it's a freaking no hitter in, uh, in the second game. And, and then a tough gut punching loss in the third game. It just felt like a lot of up and down baseball. Like that's, and that's kind of what we've had all season. Is it
0: not? Well, let me share with you my thought on that, which is bad teams, not consistent. Can't bring it every day. And, I think this week was a perfect example of that. You just never know what you're going to get from the Detroit Tigers from day to day because you have so many players that belong in AAA that you never know how they're going to play from day to day. So, you know, you're really good players like Riley Green. Yeah, most of the time they're going to play well. But uh, so much of the roster doesn't belong in the major leagues at this point in time, especially guys who are position players that you get what you get so um this is going to continue till they get better players and i think this week was a microcosm of what they are so well,
1: let, let me ask you a question mark because then, and then we can jump into the draft it's tigers the all-star break they're five and a half games back they're 39 and 50 that's third place in the american league central so five and a half games back of the cleveland guardians up top The Minnesota Twins are a half game behind the Guardians. So that tells you where the Tigers are at. Five and a half games. Can they still make a push for this, do you think?
0: Even with the trade deadline coming up August 1st? Absolutely. But you just have to put it in perspective of likelihood, okay? So my answer is, if they were a better team, I'd give them a 50% chance. With this particular lineup and the stubbornness, of not failing with more interesting players who have more upside yet, maybe more inconsistency. I put the chance at competing at maybe 10 or 15% because I like their starting pitching, but even their starting pitching. And you like Riley Green. Who doesn't like Riley Green? Welcome back, Riley Green. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, the way Riley swung for these two days was a thing of beauty. Although, you did see a, le- a left-hander kind of jinxed his mojo there in uh, his third at bat yesterday. But holy smokes, were the first six at bats just, just the thing of freaking beauty. So, but in know, they have too many players that just you're always waiting for them to do better, and it just gets tiring and. You know, hopefully they'll at least find out if some of their their kids at Toledo can get promoted and if they can improve upon what they're doing or at least the adversity they go through in the major leagues is taking them somewhere because right now they're just taking them in a circle of nowhere. So, um, yeah, enough for the Detroit Tigers of last week. Just an annoying, aggravating week that doesn't really deserve much rehashing. How about last night, man? What'd you think? I mean, the draft was awesome. I don't think any pundit got it correct. And it was good to see Pittsburgh actually pick a player that deserved to go 1-1 at 1-1. Good
1: for them. It was definitely confusing going into it. Nobody really knew what to expect. Um, That was, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I don't think like the top draft experts knew what to expect either. And there was a lot of, you know, rumors floating around about the pirates taking Max Clark, taking Walker Jenkins, taking, you know, maybe even Wyatt Langford was another name that was kind of in that mix and doing a, you know, underslot deal, saving some money for later in the draft. And they just come right out and they pick Paul Skeens. and everyone was like, Oh wow. Like, okay, then shake things up. And, for me, I said, "Okay, this is kind of interesting because now the Tigers will have their pick of either Dylan Cruz or Wyatt Langford. They're going to get one of those two guys, depending on what the Nationals do." And that's been the talk of this whole draft leading up to, you know, Sunday night. Was the Tigers need to take LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz or Florida outfielder Wyatt Langford? And the experts had said that. I had heard that from from people that I had talked to, saying, "Hey, look, like they're probably going to go with one of those two guys." I think that was just kind of like the general consensus was that like, if one of those two guys are there, the tigers are going to take them and the nationals selected LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz, who I think the tigers probably had higher on their board than Wyatt Lankford. That's just an assumption. I think Dylan Cruz is a better baseball player. Um, I think Wyatt Langford maybe has more upside, but I think, you know, Dylan Cruz is the guy that can help you like ASAP and it would, um, it would have been a smart pick for the tigers to get him, but you know what? He wasn't there. And so the Tigers were forced with a decision to make, and the question was, are you going to take Wyatt Langford or are you going to take, you know, the high school bat? And the Tigers ended up going with Max Clark. He went to Franklin Community High School in Franklin, Indiana, um, outfielder who's more of a true center fielder, whereas Wyatt Langford is more of a left fielder. Obviously, the big difference between them being Max Clark is a college prep hitter, and Wyatt Langford has played in the SEC and he's tore it up there, and he's hit you know twenty one home runs. Last season, there's, there's a lot to like about Y Langford, but the more you dig into Max Clark, there's also a lot to like about him. And then the Tigers have another pick. It's 37 overall, and they got Kevin McGonigal, a high school shortstop. He's from Monsignor Bonner High School in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. Uh, Kevin McGonigal is one of the best pure hitters in the draft class, according to Tiger scouting director Mark Connor, as well as a different scout that I had talked to just to kind of gauge, hey, like, how real is that comment? No, that comment's real. Uh, this, this guy's a pure hitter, and he can he can really play. And then the Tigers went with Max Anderson, a second baseman from Nebraska. That was their first college player that they selected with the number 45 pick in the draft. So the haul ends up being Max Clark at number three, Kevin McGonigal at number 37, and Max Anderson at number 45. Two high school bats, one college bat. All right, so let's
0: run through it. I love Langford. I love Cruz. I like Max Clark a lot. Never thought that would be the Tigers pick. But after I've had an evening to do some homework and kind of process the entire thing, I want to reassure everybody that the Tigers did not get shortchanged in their third pick, drafting Max Clark. This was a beauty is in the eye of the beholder type of pick. And Max Clark in many drafts over the last decade would have been a consensus one one pick. The Torkelson draft, no questions asked. The Mize draft, absolutely one one. The Tigers did not get short change taking Max Clark. And
1: this draft is just so deep. I mean, it's it's so deep and it's so heavy at the top. I mean, those top five players are <sighs> generational.
0: Yeah and, and I think there's more players than that. I mean it it it's a great great draft and hopefully the Tigers will leverage that to get themselves some players and we'll get to that in a minute but I I I think we'll use a a Corbin Carroll comparison for Max Clark and if you've enjoyed Corbin Carroll before he dislocated his shoulder the other day and uh it, he's just been an absolute tear all season long. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities between Max Clark and Corbin Carroll. So, you know, uh, a pretty advanced player, a very polished player, maybe not a 30 home run guy, but a really good eye, an outstanding runner, a true center fielder, and a dirt dog. Guy loves to play, got a ton of personality, uh, Midwest kid. You know, there's a lot to love about Max Clark. So, he had a great workout. Tell us about what Connor and uh, Metzler had to say about Max Clark last night. Yeah, well, first, let's just run through the stats. I think that's important, even though they are high school stats. I
1: think people just want to hear about, you know, what guys do. So, Clark hit 646 with nine doubles, five triples, six homers, 52 walks, and five strikeouts in 28 games as a senior. He also spent some time... Back in September 2022 with Team USA in the WBSC Under-18 World Cup, he hit 280 with one home run, three walks, and three strikeouts in eight games. He had a three-hit game in the championship game and helped Team USA win the gold medal. So that's a little bit of background on him. Also was named 2023 Gatorade National Baseball Player of the Year. He was also named Indiana Gatorade Baseball Player of the Year as a sophomore and a junior. Um, He's got experience as a pitcher, but that's not going to happen. He also played wide receiver for their football team and he played basketball as freshman and sophomore year. So there's multi-sport, you know, in the bloodlines in the background um, and obviously baseball being the the sport that he's best at, but no, a lot of praise for him. I mean, look, he, he Max Clark came to Comerica park on June 13th for a, a private workout and talked about how it was very personal, very man to man. Got to talk to Scott Harris, got to talk to, you know, Tigers personnel just to get a feel for them and, you know, they could get a feel for, for him. And, they also went out and they saw him a few times, you know, during the, the winter when he was making some swing changes. He was changing where he, you know, holds his hand on the bat as far as and, and as well as the base of his stance. So he made those two tweaks. And as he was doing that, the Tigers came out to visit him um, at his you know, local facility in Indiana. That kind of jump started, you know, really the marriage between. Max Clark and the Detroit Tigers. And obviously it intensifies as things go on and has the the, the great visit to Detroit. He loves it. He has an awesome experience, takes BP, you know, works on that gap to gap power that he feels like he has also hits a couple balls out of the ballpark. Um, That's something that he's looking to develop over, over time. And yeah, like it's just positive vibes kind of across the board. Scott Harris talked about him as an elite talent. Um, I, I, the the quote was great. I'm going to read it to you. Quote. He was the best player on our board at that pick, and we are thrilled that he got to our pick. We think we think Max is a five tool player. I think that label gets thrown around, around way too much in our industry. We think Max has all five. End quote. So the Tigers view this guy as a true five tool player, an elite player, someone who can be a, a difference maker. And I don't I don't see why not.
0: I don't see why that's not possible. Like I said, just in an, an advanced baseball player in and every look at way. who else
1: was drafted out of high school, Mark.
0: Colt Keith, Riley Green. There's some talent. And drafted her. And, you know, look, last night, I'm not going to belabor this particular point. Many people have made it. But if you think, you know, Max Clark is going to take forever to get to the major leagues, well, we're going to see how long it takes. But the last two high school players that could really hit that the Detroit Tigers drafted were, Riley Green, about 160 minor league games. And Colt Keith, it'll be about 200 games before he's promoted and should have been promoted at 160 games.
1: Well, Riley didn't have the 2020 season either just because of COVID.
0: Right. So, and I think I will share that what's very interesting is uh, it seems like Clark's already agreed to a contract. He took uh, the Texas slot, which is $7.7 million, which we'll get into later, save the Tigers six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But if he's agreed to a contract, he's signing within a week and he's gonna be playing in the complex league within two weeks. And he seemed like the type of kid that can't wait to go. So if they can get him 60, 70 games of uh complex and maybe, you know, for a month in Lakeland playing low A and getting his, you know, maybe beat up a little bit because he is 18 years old. You know, I that those are beautiful things. So, you know, the fact that we don't have to wait for him to get a start and have to have a protracted contract negotiation, I think, is a lot of extra upside to what they did yesterday.
1: Definitely, no, I agree. I think it was, I think it was a good pick. All things considered, like you look back and you say, "Man, you know, what about Wyatt Langford?" And, and and sure, there might be some comparisons to White Langford for a long time because that's the guy the Tigers passed on. It's the same thing with you know Jackson Job and Marcella Meyer. It's the same thing with Jace Young and um and the uh, the infielder from the Angels, Zach Nido. Yeah, so it's gonna be the same regardless. But at the same time, like the Tigers got a good player, and I think one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that he was making those swing adjustments back in the winter. Um, I think that that tells me that he's a player that's going to make changes at every level of the minor leagues. Scott Harris kind of talked about that. And, you know, Mark Connor talked about the details of some of those changes that they, they witnessed firsthand going to see him. And I think that's going to help him make adjustments at each level. He moves up in the farm system and, you know, he's not going to be stubborn with it. He's going to make changes. He's going to make adjustments. And the big thing was just hitting too many ground balls. He was able to get the ball in the air a little bit more this season. And he's going to grow into that. I, I, I like the pick. I really do. I,
0: I I think some of these things are, you know, not worth a lot of analysis. He's just coming out of high school. No, he's but the fact that he's going. able to make the changes. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, that says a lot. The willingness to make changes is everything because every hitter going to tweak as time goes on. And, you know, it, it, and I'm, as I said, I, I think it was an outstanding pick. Do I love Wyatt Langford? Who the heck doesn't love Wyatt Langford? <laughs> Okay, but let's move on. We got what we got. It was like having a chance to date two uh, beautiful models and you picked one. So, you know, let's talk about draft pick number two, Kevin McGonigal, much less well known, but when you do some homework on him, a lot of, a lot of the same traits and to be blunt about it, you know, probably a second baseman. Although Mm -hmm. he may started short, but uh, to sum up Kevin McGonigal, (laughs) this boy rakes. He rakes. He hits the baseball. There's a lot of argument that he may have been the best high school hitter in the draft, and, you know, Max Clark was a high school hitter. So uh, middle infielder, rakes, right-hand hitter, another dirt dog, I don't think anybody doesn't like Kevin McGonagall, especially when he's got a bat in his hands. Tell us uh, what Mark Conner had to say about him. Yeah, I mean,
1: look, it's a guy who's going to hit. And you mentioned it. And I know you were doing your research on Kevin McGonagall while I was writing my overnight story. And I was up till 3 a.m. writing about Max Clark. But yeah, I mean, this, this guy is somebody that the Tigers really like. And they think that he's going to be able to, he's going to handle the bat. And he's going to handle the bat immediately. I mean, that's That stands out to me. So it's another high school player, another left-handed hitter. Um, they got in the organization, both Max Clark and Kevin McGonigal hit lefty, pure bat to ball skills, just kind of pure hit tool, everything that you want to see in a hitter, good athleticism playing short, shortstop right now, quiet, you know, soft feet, pretty good hands, good baseball tempo and timing. So it's like that internal clock is, is where it needs to be. Now the question just because of his range is, you know, does he stick at shortstop or does he have to move to second base? I don't think it really matters right now. And also it won't matter if he hits. Nobody's going to care if he's playing shortstop or second base, if he's hitting. And that's my opinion on it. So yeah, look, I mean, I, I had another, you know, national league scout that, you know, shot me a text after the Tigers drafted McGonigal and said, you know, might be the best pure hit tool in the entire class. So that backs up everything that, you know, Mark Connor had to say about him. And for the stats, he hit 350 with eight doubles, four triples, six home runs, 32 walks and two strikeouts in 25 games as a senior in high school. He was named the he was named the Pennsylvania Gatorade Player of the Year. He also played for Team USA at the Under 18 World Cup. So hey, he's on the same team as Max Clark. Again, that was last September. He hit 240 with one home run, five walks, and three strikeouts in nine games. Again, Team USA won the gold medal. Um, so yeah, like, look, I, I think he probably stays at shortstop to start, and then eventually we'll have to move off of that um, and, and move to second base. But they like his footwork. They like his hands. They like his arm. They think that, you know, the arm strength is there. The question is just, what's the range going to look like? And, you know, that'll determine if he's a shortstop or a second baseman. But again, he hits. That matters.
0: Yeah. Baseball player. Plus arm. Surprising power. You know, pretty mature. Mature body. Um, A really, really, really good pick for the second round. May have to pay him a little bit over slot. But, uh He's a baller, and you know it's hard not to like the first two picks. I understand they're both high school guys, but I'm a big believer in the draft of taking best player available. Don't care if they're high schoolers, college guys, guys from Europe. They landed in a spaceship. Don't really care. Just just want guys that can play, and uh, usually guys that can really play get there sooner than later. So, you know, when people start complaining that Detroit's drafting high school players, as I said before about Max Clark, guys that can play, they get there, doesn't take them a long time. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to discuss the third pick in the draft, but first, we're going to take a break. All right, uh, let's talk about the third pick. Not somebody who I was super impressed with. We uh, we took a second baseman who was one of the best hitters in the Big Ten. Not too athletic. Probably going to be a first baseman. Talk to us about him. Yeah, well, first, I got to ask you, because
1: you you mentioned Scott Harris in in the first two picks, and you seem to really like these two picks. And I do want to, you know, hat tip to Scott Harris just for some of the savviness going about it. You had mentioned, you know, Max Clark going under slot and yeah, like that's, that's actually how kind of all this works, right? Is there's ways that you can maneuver yourself around the draft board and, you know, get yourself a, a Kevin McGonigal, you know, with your third pick, as opposed to having to go with somebody else. And so Clark signed an under slot deal with the Tigers for like about $7.7 million. That's what he signed in for, which is the value of the number four overall pick. The number three pick came with a bonus slot value of about 8.3 million. So that savings Tigers are able to turn that and they're able to toss that some of that to Kevin McGonigal. And then the Tigers go with their third pick. And when I made their third pick, I got a text immediately that said, that's a money saver. That was, that's a money saver. And it's second baseman, Max Anderson from Nebraska. He's been in college for three years, named big 10 freshman of the year, has a ton of power, probably is going to play first base. He's a guy that you could have gotten later in the draft if you wanted to, but probably wants to go under slot, which then allows the Tigers to, you know, do a little dance with their third round pick and with their fourth round pick. That's where you can then maybe push a high schooler down and pay him more money. And you can, you know, you can get another impact player that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to get as you have not gone, you know, under slot on Max Anderson. So it's almost like the deal for it. And it's crazy how it works because it's almost like the deal for Max Clark sets up Kevin McGonigal. And then the deal for, Max Anderson sets up what they're going to do in the third round, in the fourth round after their first three picks on Sunday, which was, you know, first round competitive balance and second round. I I like the savviness of it. I really do. I I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that it's key.
0: Well, here's my answer to that. Proof's in the pudding. Connor and Metzler, new guys, new jobs, have been good at these things previously, Mm -hmm. come from two pretty pedigreed teams who have shrewdly drafted throughout, you know, day two of the major league draft. And we're going to find out what they got. They got a little bonus money. They got almost a million dollars to either spread over three, four, or just burn on a great high upside, don't go to college, high school player in the fourth round. You like that, don't you? You like wow. that. It, it, uh, I'll like it when I see who they draft. So, I'm a show me kind of guy. So, uh, but I like that they're trying to employ some strategy. I'm not real sure I like their pick in the third round because I just don't see much utility to it. But let's see what happens. And I am trying to be open minded. It's a new staff, it's a new strategy, it's a new thought process. And you know, I want I want these guys to show me more than making quick snap judgments on what's up. I mean, it's like yesterday. I wasn't mad about Max Clark, but you know, I was disappointed they didn't take Langford. But given it some deeper thought, I think the players are much closer together than I initially may have considered. And you know, when you're crafting a team you have the responsibility of crafting a team in the image of what you see. And that's why they took Max Clark over Wyatt Langford. There are reasons they felt that, you know, they wanted to build more around Clark than Langford, and we're going to find out if they're right or not. So, Well, Max Anderson, just so people know, hit
1: 414 with 20 doubles, 21 home runs, 20 walks, and 29 strikeouts in 57 games. For Nebraska, again, like I said, three-year college player, right-handed hitter. Could become full time first baseman, below average defense, um, but the data does stand out to to folks. It's you know, easy above average power to all fields, high in zone contact rates. Swings a lot, and sometimes he's going to chase, but at the same time, when he's able to swing inside the zone, our pitches inside the zone, he's going to make contact and create some damage. So that's really where his value is: is how much power is he going to be able to give you? Um, you know, does he move to a corner at some point? Is he just is he just a first baseman, and he's first base depth? In your uh, in your organization, maybe um, you don't love that with the number forty five pick, but at the same time, if the dude is going to somehow figure out how to hit, you know, thirty jacks in the big leagues, he's a big leaguer. So that that's really where it's going to come down to for Max Anderson.
0: Yep, and even two people that study the draft as much as you and I do, you know, you start getting down to the Max Andersons, maybe a guy that most people had ranked between ninety and a hundred. Um. We just haven't seen him enough to really have much of a detailed scouting report on him. Um, Yeah, we have, you know, you and I have unbelievably good sources and people we trust done over years. But, you know, the answer is we don't know and we have to see who else they draft. Yeah, right. Mark, how many times have I seen Max Anderson play live? Zero. Right. All right. So, first three picks, really like the first two. Third one we're going to take under advisement. We'll see what happens the rest of the day, and the rest of the day is pretty important. I'm sure they're going to add some pitching because the Detroit Tigers are pretty thin in the uh, organizational depth pitching uh, part of the equation right now. So we'll see what happens the rest of the day. We'll talk about it next week. I wanted to uh, move on to the big two. Because we are at the All Star break, so I wanted to ask a few important questions right now. First question of the big two: How many long term pieces do the Detroit Tigers have right now? Are you talking in the big leagues or just
1: across the board?
0: I'm talking anywhere in there. Anywhere in there. I don't care if they play at Comerica or in the complex league. How many long term pieces they got? Oh gosh,
1: um, I don't know. I mean, a handful, I would say. I think enough. I mean, I, I understand. I understand that you, know, you look at it and there's there's questions up and down. But you got to think that Riley Green is a long term piece. You have to think that Spencer Torkelson, Kerry Carpenter, maybe. I think there's still some some things that need to be proved with him. But I think you got Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, Kerry Carpenter, Matt Veerling is probably a long term piece, even if it's just as a fourth outfielder. When it's all said and done, Jake Rogers, that gives you five.
0: Pitching. Yeah,
1: Tarek Skubal. I think that's the only one you can really count on right now. In the big league rotation, at least. Mm-hmm. Alex Lang, Jason Foley, I and mean, that's eight players total. Um, we'll leave it at that because they're the only proven guys um, that are in that mix. Reese Olsen, obviously, I, I think you can maybe start to talk about putting him in that mix, but I haven't seen enough yet. I, I want to see how he does you know, the rest of the season. And once he slides back into the rotation... But he's an interesting player for sure. Someone you've got to keep your eye on. Casey Mize, I think you've got to throw in that mix, even though he hasn't been healthy. I think Colt you just, Keith? You view him in the mix. Yeah, of course. Colt Keith. Um, Jackson Joe. Yeah, Jackson Joe. Parker Meadows, Justin Henry Malloy. I, I don't know if all these guys are everyday big leaguers, but are they guys that are going to make an impact in the big leagues long term? Definitely.
0: All right. So I've wanted to talk about this for quite a while, and I don't know if we'll get too deep into it, but in order to make the playoffs, you need to get 40 war. People hear war all the time and players get a war score based upon the cumulative performance they put on the field and anywhere from, you know, not just hitting, but you know, the overall way they hit, how much they walk, uh, all kinds of different, you know, their defense, they play, how they run the bases, pitchers. Also, you know, get a war score based upon how they perform, how they perform in leverage, how many people they strike out and walk, their ERA, their ERA adjusted. So, you know, bottom line is I asked you a question of how many long-term pieces they have, and I want to define it a little better for you to be fair, is how many players you have that are a a two-and-a-half war player or more Don't really count relievers. Relievers are kind of fungible unless they are guys that are going to be here for a long time and are going to be able to shut people down over a period of years. So, you want me to re answer the
1: question? I'm going to re answer the question.
0: Riley Green, Riley Green, Tarek Skubel, Colt Keith. Okay. Now we're talking. And on, on the fringe of that, we're going to also include Jake Rogers, who's got a really good chance if he continues at a similar pace he's playing at. This year to be about a three war player, which is very, very useful. You know, Jason Foley may be one of the most tangible long term relievers they have because Jason Foley can repeat what he does often, game after game, and the reliability factor is pretty high. But it's very difficult to really look at relievers in a long term sense and, you know, as dominating as Alex Lane can be. You know, it's still very inconsistent. There's still too many full months. I mean, you know, Alex Lang has given up, I think, 14 runs in the last five weeks. So it's hard to depend on a guy like that as a long-term piece. So, you know, the answer is you, you'd like to think Max Clark is a long-term piece. He's also a high school baseball player that got drafted yesterday. Right, he's so, 18. So the answer is not a lot. Matt you know, Matt Veerling is not a long term piece. Matt Veerling is you know a fourth guy. outfielder? Yeah, there you go. Fourth outfielders are not long-term pieces. We can find a fourth outfielder in 15 minutes. There's, you know, 40 of them that we can make acquisition of without giving up too much. So, you know, my answer is the Detroit Tigers do not have a lot of long-term pieces. And You know, disappointingly, you know, they, they, you know, as much as I love Tarek Skubal, you know, I'm in a weird minority about Tarek Skubal is Tarek Skubal's thrown 300 innings since his Tommy John surgery, including college. And he's now had Tommy John surgery and a flexor tendon issue. And is unbelievably sexy and dominating as he's looked since he's come back And Hat tip to Robin Lund and, you know, Chris Fetter and Juan Nieves because holy smokes did they polish him up. Oh, they tweaked man. his
1: mechanics to get more out of the fastball. I mean, that fastball is zipping, and it has been, even going back to the, the rehab assignments that he was on. He was sitting like 96 consistently in his rehab starts. He was not sitting 96 in the past with the Tigers. And so how about, how about command? Yeah, I mean, it's pinpoint. pinpoint. How, about, how about slider shape? Nasty with depth. Ooh, baby. Okay, But they optimized all that. And so, again, you're right. Hat tip to Robin Lund. Hat tip to Chris Fetter. Hat tip to Juan Nieves. Three pitching guys. Um,
0: chef's kiss for their yeah. work. And here's what I'll tell you about pitchers. I know a little bit about pitchers from my own experience in my own house. Okay? Without getting too deep into it. Heredity has a lot to do with it. So, some guys durable as can be. Some guys, genetics just wasn't good to them. So as great as they are, they keep breaking and pitchers break. It's not a matter of if a pitcher's going to break, it's when. Very few are durable. So do I worry about Tarek Skubel? Oh, hell yeah. Can I depend on him? Absolutely not. Because I just can't trust the health. Justin Verlander, I trusted the health. But Justin Verlander is a unicorn, okay? Max Scherzer, unicorn. Remember how good Anibal Sanchez was? Mm-hmm. Bro- broke every fifteen minutes, okay? You he, 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 pitchers, you got to understand they are what they are. Now, so what happened? Get- now, what
1: happens if Terry will stays healthy the rest of the season? He's healthy all of next season. Does your Opinion on that shift in a way because he has had the Tommy John, he has no. had a flexor tendon, and it's like okay, he should be good now. Or
0: do you worry about this for the rest of his career? I worry about it. I'm worried that he's going to break it any time. He already showed me he's going to break it any time. Were you ready for him to break last year? <laughs> no, nobody was. Okay, right. The, the velocity started degrading. He broke. He mm-hmm. was out. Okay. So my answer is. There are going to be teams that are going to have a different opinion than I do, all right? And there's going to be some really, really good players that you might be able to obtain if you were willing to include Tarek Skubal in a deal. And, you know, I've said this to you. I've said this to some of our other friends that are within this industry. And, and I don't think it's that unusual of an idea. All I'm saying to you is, I 100% acknowledge Tarek Skubal's greatness. I also understand I'm the kind of guy, I may be wrong. I'm a sell-high guy on that. I'm at least listening to what people are offering me. Okay. If I can get a great shortstop that's in the top 30 and I can scout him and believe he's really going to be good, you know, I'm at least listening to what people have to say about it. You might think I'm crazy. But, you know, I can find pitching. I may not be able to find Tarek Skubel caliber pitching, but at the same time, if Tarek Skubel comes down with another elbow injury, that's pretty much it, boys. He's all done. That's flexor tendon, two TJs, let's say. If he had to have TJ again, come on. <laughs> There's not a lot of guys that have had that many elbow issues that have come back to be durable and be good for a long time. No, it so. sounds like
1: Walker Bueller.
0: Hmm. So you know, I, I'm not. I I maybe people might, you know, think what I'm saying is heresy, but I, I'm just bringing up points worth discussing. Okay, and I, Tarek Skubal looks so good these two outings, but they're letting him only throw sixty pitches for a reason, because they understand what they're up against. Okay. And, you know, big league teams have a lot of ways to, you know, understand the health circumstances of their players, the stress, the long-term effects, and there's not really anything out, you know, as much as we like to think they're only five and a half out, I I think the Detroit Tigers and their front office have a bigger picture in mind when it comes to some of these things, and that's why Tarek Skubal throws four innings. OK, certainly,
1: which is a bummer, though, because, again, it, for, for from a fan's perspective, right, it's man, we've been waiting for so long just to just to compete, just to do something, just yep. to be in the mix. I think that's why, you know, a lot of the fans, they want to see Colt Keith and Parker Meadows and Justin Henry Malloy. They don't want they don't want you to deal you, Rob. They understand why you have to. but They don't want to. Mm-hmm. They want to go for something for the first time in in forever.
0: That's right. But so, there is
1: a bigger picture at play, of course.
0: Yep. So all I'm saying to you is, you know, keep all these things in mind. Be adult about it. Sometimes you don't like hearing it. It was like when I didn't hear Wyatt Lankford yesterday. And uh, (laughs) I heard Max Clark and I thought about it and I realized yeah, it was a pretty damn great pick. All right. Second question, the big two. What do you want to see in the second half? Let's get on to it. I want to see the Tigers get
1: a haul for Eduardo Rodriguez. I don't know if they're going to. But that's what I want to see because that's what I think the second half really comes down to. I want to see Eduardo Rodriguez pitch his butt off, pitch very well, which he didn't do in his first start back from the injury. It was disappointing. Um he needs to pitch very well, and the Tigers need to use what they can and and use their leverage and try to trade him. If he doesn't pitch well, they're going to be screwed. And so I, I need to see Eduardo Rodriguez pitch well if I'm the Tigers. Um, otherwise, it it, it could be a sticky situation where you're not gonna really gonna like that return. So He's got to pitch great if the Tigers want to get as much as possible for him. I want to see them get a haul. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to have to kind of open the the runway for them to do that. He's going to have to open the gate to get there. And that that comes with his performance. He was not, to me, he was not sharp in his first game back. Again, it's just the first game back. But, you know, five runs on six hits and four innings, no walks, seven strikeouts. Like, that was encouraging. But that command, that pinpoint command that he had, you know, really all throughout the beginning of the season just was not there. Um but the but the stuff was there, the stuff was there for sure, and I think he but he needs to command his pitches, and if he doesn 't that 's exactly what can happen that 's the difference between Eduardo Rodriguez with command and Eduardo Rodriguez without command in his first eleven starts mark he had a two one three e r a and he had sixteen walks and sixty seven strikeouts. and it was everything that you wanted him to be in a pitcher um he was great he was i mean he was outstanding and you even you even want to run it back to you know I told you about his 11 starts. Even if you go look back at his last nine starts before, you know, ruptured the pulley in his index finger, the 1 4 ERA in those nine starts. That's what good Eduardo Rodriguez can be for you. The game against the Oakland Athletics where the Tigers lost 12 to 3, that's an example of what he can do when he's not on his game with the command. So I think he's got to lock it back in. He's got a big
0: month coming up, and there's a lot riding in it for the Tigers. I have no doubt he'll lock it back in. He looked he better. He looked really good. He just made a few mistakes. And as I've joked many times lately, you know, big league hitters don't miss mistakes, dude. They, they just don't. So I have a question, they, Mark. Mm-hmm. Is there any way in which
1: you think Eduardo Rodriguez does not opt out of his contract? Like, could this go as bad? Like, what if he just loses it the rest of the season and doesn't have it? Is there any chance that he says, actually, no, I'm going to opt back in? For the
0: sake of brevity. You know, no way. Uh not no chance. Right. Um I, I mean he'd have to be absolutely either terrible, which is not gonna happen, or get injured again. That'd be the right. only two. I mean you know, I just
1: wonder what's gonna happen with what the tigers are gonna be able to get back for him. Like that's the big question. And I gotta start doing some some digging around with other people asking, hey, like, you know, what do you think he can realistically you know, net the Tigers at the trade deadline because he does still have years left on his contract. And that it's a situation where I don't think that the opt-out helps the Tigers. I think that that hurts the Tigers. I think that if he was on an expiring deal, that would benefit the Tigers more than the situation they're in right now. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think if a different team trades for him and, you know, the performance just goes to the shitter or there's an injury, there's a chance he opts back into the contract. That's, that's a risk for other
0: teams. I wonder what the Tigers can get. I'm going to give you a couple trade ideas, but we're going to take a break first. I noticed as an example, uh, the Dodgers demoted Miguel Vargas to triple A really good minor league hitter, good young player played him at second, had played third before. The Dodgers produce these guys one after the next, after the next, after the next. They have Michael Bush. They have, you know, quite a few interesting minor league players. The Dodgers probably need a starter. Rodriguez would be pretty interesting to them. They also have Julio Urias going to be a free agent after this year. I kind of tend to doubt the Dodgers won't resign him, but still... That might be, you know, that might be a destination that might have some interest in, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez. You can also pitch in a playoff game. So, if you package Eduardo Rodriguez in a reliever to the Dodgers, there's some good players to get back. Okay. A player on the outs, kind of having a slightly better year than Nick Maton, but maybe a better hitter. That might be somebody that might be something the Tigers can monitor or give you a an approximation of the type of player that you can get back for Eduardo Rodriguez. So, you know, other teams are pretty interesting. I think Atlanta, who does not have a lot of things left in their system these days after almost everybody else has made it to the big leagues in the past two years, another team to keep an eye on. We'll see. Uh, Tampa always in the mix for stuff like this. Houston might, might need a player, might need a pitcher. I, so, I love
1: the Orioles. I still love the Orioles
0: there. I do. I think the Orioles might ask about different pitching than Eduardo Rodriguez, although, you know, Jordan Westberg Westenberg would be somebody that I think everybody will pursue from the Orioles, and we haven't even figured out if the Orioles are willing to give him up yet. But they right. have crazy minor league depth there, you know. They have just, just so many different guys, you know, her. Hurstead, Mayo, they got a they got a lot of depth and I'm sure they'll be able to make a great deal. That's a team that I would talk to Scoobyl about, which I know breaks people's heart. But you can get a lot of back from them for Tarek Scooby. Yeah. You know, we also have Michael Lorenzen who's been uh-huh. streaky but still pretty good. Also somebody that could be used as a reliever. I don't think he's gonna bring a ton back in a deal. Got Jose Cisnero, who was just unhittable in the month of June and in the month of July, has been pretty hittable. Those are the so, big three for me. It's, it's yeah. Rodriguez, Lorenzen, and Cisnero as trade candidates to really watch. Right. So we'll we'll see. depends on what people offer. You know, I was against the idea of trading Alex Lang. I don't think they're really going to deal him. I think they're married to him and think they can fix him. But, you, you know, I'm always open to any trade offer anybody wants to make me. I can always say no. OK, so I'm, I'm pretty open minded about that stuff. And it should be a pretty interesting trade deadline because to be really honest with you, Scott Harris hasn't really had to make too many difficult decisions. And we're going to find out a little bit more of what he's made out of and, you know, what his surrounding support staff is also made of because right now I'm sure they're scouring minor league rosters have players in mind so that they're prepared when people approach them on players. I'm sure there's already been dialogue on certain players. So,
1: well, the number three Um, overall pick was a pretty difficult decision. I don't think that was, you know, a, a slam dunk, easy pick either. So I think, I think we'll find out what he's made of. Right. But, you know, he's being forced into situations where he has to make some tough decisions, has to lean on guys that are in his corner, Rob Metzler, Mark Connor, you know, in the draft, right? And so J we'll J Sartori,
0: if it, Sam Benson.
1: <laughs>
0: haven't heard a lot about them,
1: but let yeah, but but we'll see what he does when it comes time to 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 make some trades, right? I think he made a a difficult but smart move in going out and getting the the high school kid as opposed to taking the college bat. And but again, that's time will tell if it was a smart pick or not. We don't, we don't know that. Um, And now hopefully with, you know, the draft, I mean, with the trade deadline, we should be able to gauge a little bit more on the returns for certain players and whether we think it was a good return or not, just based on, you know, the minor league data that we have really isn't a lot that we know when it comes to the draft until these guys get into the farm systems and start to play a little bit. So yeah, like we'll, we'll see coming up, whether he's able to make a a good move and, you know,
0: get the Tigers some pieces back. They're going to help them in the future. All right. Let's, got a we're getting short on time there's three things i want to discuss so quick give me some jonathan scope dfa
1: yeah jonathan scope was cut from the tigers roster yeah it was tough i mean look this is a guy who's been with the tigers since 2020 um served as the everyday second baseman for a uh, uh, quite some time he is i mean 20 plus home runs in 2021 got a contract extension signed the deal there was a lot of excitement about that, thinking that he was going to be somebody that could be a, a second baseman for the Tigers. And they finally made the playoffs. And we all know how everything went in 2022. But Tigers made the decision after Friday's 12 to 2 loss to the Toronto Blue Jays. Scope finishes the 2023 season with the Tigers hitting 213 with zero home runs, 13 walks, 37 strikeouts, and a 550 OPS in 55 games. 11-year big league veteran. The Tigers are eating about $3.5 million of a $7.5 million contract. He's going to go through a waiver process. Once he clears waivers, he'd be eligible to sign with a different team for the prorated major league minimum salary while the Tigers play, pay the rest of his salary, which is paying that $3.5 million for the rest of the year. Adios, Jonathan Scope. What am I doing right now? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. He's waving. I'm waving bye-bye. No, I mean, look, man, good, good, good defender. Somebody that um, obviously brought a lot to the clubhouse. Like I enjoyed all my interactions with him. He's, he's as, a pro, as, as pro as a pro can get. No. And he handled everything really well too. I mean, he lost the everyday role right at the beginning of the season, transitioned into a utility role, kind of only played against left-handed starters, sometimes came off the bench as a um, pinch hitter against the lefty relievers, played more innings at third base and second base. I mean, he's a second baseman. He, he made a switch over to third base, played a lot over there also just wasn't in the lineup every day like he he really barely played and
0: right. he, he, handled, it, he right. handled it well i'm going to cut this short i'm going to give you one piece of data and then we're going to move on cuz it's not worth discussing anymore bye bye jonathan scope last 650 at bats he has a 57 wrc plus there's 150 major leaguers that have 650 at bats over the course of the 2022-2023 season, okay? There's, excuse me, 175 position players have 650 at bats in 2022-2023. Jonathan Scope ranks 175 out of 175 hitters with a 57 WRC+. So here's what I have to say to you, John. Bye-bye. See ya. Let's move on. Okay, how about we had some history the other day we had something that Evan Petzl probably had a good time watching because it'll be a memory for a long time. We had a no hitter. Talk to me about that, Evan. Ab. It was cool seeing them final
1: out. Just, you know, once they got it, Alex Lane kind of did a little fist bump thing. And, you know, teammates came and swarmed him. And, uh, you know, they were able to get all three of the, the pitchers out there on the field together for the Bally the Sports interview. And they brought them all in the interview room along with Derek Haas as well. And yeah, it was a cool experience. I mean, a combined no hitter, the first one in franchise history. Um, Also the ninth no-hitter in franchise history as well. The first in Spencer Turnbull's no-hitter in the 2021 season. Yeah, Matt Manning went six and two-thirds. Jason Foley went one and one-third. And Alex Lang went one inning to finish the deal. Yeah, combined no-hitter. I've never seen a no-hitter before in person. So that was a really good experience to see that. I wasn't at Spencer Turnbull's no-hitter because um, that was the COVID year. So that was the year after the COVID year. But people weren't traveling yet. Everything was still on Zoom. All the interviews were, you know was through the computer, right? So I didn't make the trip out to Seattle for that. So this was the first time that I've ever seen a no-hitter in person. And it was a really cool experience. It was nice to see. Um, I thought AJ Hinch did a great job managing Matt Manning, just knowing when to pull a plug on him. Mark, shout out to you because you called it before AJ said it. You know, back stiffness, I think you mentioned that in like the third or fourth inning. I said, Mark, you're an idiot. You don't know anything about what's going on in the mound. Like, what, you don't even know what you're talking about. And then we get in there and AJ Hinge says, yeah, his back was stiffer for most of the game. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Mark does know what he's talking about. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, like he handled it well. Matt was losing his stuff, you know, there in the seventh inning. It would have been nice to see him get through seven, but um, walked a batter. They pulled him. Jason Foley comes in. He does his thing. We all know how nasty he's been. And then Alex Lang gets the three outs. He had a strikeout, but the last out was um, a ground ball to third base. That ended it. And then there was a ton of celebration. And it was it was just a really cool day at the ballpark. And it, made, it was even better because the Tigers got to Kevin Galsman, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And it was right from the beginning, from the get-go. Started with a Riley Green one-out single. Spencer and hits a double. Carrie Carpenter hits a triple. Suddenly it's 2 nothing. The score holds all the way through. It was a good game.
0: Beautiful game. One of the better games of the year. Tip of the hat to uh, Matt Manning. He was really, really good. He grinded. You were right about the back stiffness. He grinded. Mm, Yeah, I am a Google doctor. Uh, But I do want to say, interesting pitch mix. We'll get into Matt Manning after we watch his next start. Matt Manning is doing interesting things, people. I know he's frustrating. He never stays healthy, but he's got a lot outside. He never seems
1: consistent either. I mean... Yeah, he seems up and just, down all the time. But yeah, I like the way that no, I, I like the way ah, that he used the curveball and the slider like way more and didn't use the fastball as much. I I thought that that was a smart approach for him. I can't wait to get to Seattle and like talk to him a little bit more about it and try to like understand whether that's something that was just, you know, is that game plan for the Blue Jays or is that game plan for Matt Manning?
0: Like we're going to no, find out as he moves forward. It's good to know that he has enough flexibility and execution that he can do a few things cuz Matt Manning has a really, really good fastball. I mean, forget the velocity. It's just tough to hit no matter what the velocity is. He seems like he's added a cutter. So he's got something that's good to pair with his slider and suddenly a reappearing curveball. And we'll get more into Matt Manning after we see him a few more times. I want to, in kind of a lightning round, touch on Futures game. We saw Jay Hen and uh, Cole Keith both in the Futures game. Um, uh, we saw Cole Keith face a guy throwing 102 in the shadows. I was frightened for the boy. Uh, he did manage to uh, take a slider off the hands and flip it into right field and had a couple pretty good swings of fastballs. Jay Hen got to employ the challenge system to get himself a walk. Both uh, accredited themselves pretty well. That was pretty fun to see, right? Yeah, no, good to see you. and, and kind of
1: kicked off all-star festivities for the week Got the home run derby on Monday night, got the actual all-star game on Tuesday. We're going to really enjoy Wednesday and Thursday because those are kind of like real off days, um, especially because, you know, for the Tigers, right, they have um, only Michael Lorenzen is going to be in the all-star game, but they have the draft on Monday. They have the draft on Tuesday. And so I'm looking forward to Wednesday, you know, got some work things to do on that day. But so really, I'm looking forward to Thursday before I fly out to Seattle on on Friday. But yeah, no, it was good to see Cole Keith and, and Justin Henry Malloy do their thing. Clock's ticking for those guys. Parker Meadows has been raking in AAA Toledo as well. Um, I don't know if it's going to be trade deadline or, or, or when it's going to be exactly, but these guys have got to get up at some point. I think you want to protect the ability to still, you know, have them win, you know, rookie of the year next year. I think you want that opportunity for all of them, particularly Colt Keith. I think that that he, I, I think for Colt Keith, I think he needs to still have that ability because the Tigers will get that draft pick. Next year, if he's able to win rookie of the year, that's exactly what happened last night with the Mariners because of Julio Rodriguez. I think if you're the Tigers, you got to protect that, that, that chance. I mean, the draft is such a unique way to add talent and, and it's, it's the best way to add talent, quite honestly, to add young talent into the farm system um, that you can develop and that you can mold into, into your own. So I think if the Tigers can wait until a certain point where they know that Colt Keith is going to retain his rookie status next season, I think that's when they got to call him up. It's going to have to happen at some point. He just, he looks too good, man. He just yeah. looked way too
0: good. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to give you this one. Not that I agree with it, but we've talked for an hour on a lot of topics. It's been an exciting first half. I want to say uh, you can rate, uh, subscribe and comment where you find all podcasts. You can always find this pod at the free press at the It's always embedded there. Um, I want to say for our executive producers, Kirk Crawford and uh, Anjanette Delgado, and for our producer, Robin Chan, who always makes us sound good, this smart Mark Gorosh, Robin Petzold, and I got to say, peace!